This is the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. You're about to discover the most entertaining rock music podcast on the planet, filled with the best stories straight from rock musicians from all over the world. Rock music isn't dead. It's getting better and better. It's time to start paying attention again. With that said, let's get this party started. The mountain's gonna rise and fall by me. Hello and welcome to the Power by Rock podcast, where I'm going to be speaking with the weirdest fucking band on, in the world today, Hans Gruber and the Diehards. Hey, hey, hey. yeah. For those who have yet to hear this band, well, I'm not sure I can accurately describe what you can expect from these guys, but imagine if you mixed at the drive-in with the Aquabats and then piped it through Jack Black's energy core. That's what I would <laughs> say is Hans Gruber and the Diehards. The band released four full-length albums since 2017 and broke out in many ways even more last year with their latest release, with a vengeance, obviously, movie theme going hard here, which is obviously a nod to the Die Hard franchise's uh, third movie in that 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 uh, that you know sequence. It was a trilogy, and then they just started layering more shit on top of it. I still love them all, uh, which came out in 2022. The album did, not the movie, and that was a banger of an album that perfectly encapsulated the band's sound as well as their intent to make music their own way. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Hey, What's yeah. up? How you doing? Hi. I know it's a little early, like the sun's barely, literally barely come up here in Las Vegas, but uh, you guys are on the East Coast right now, so it's a little a little later for you, but still early and, for rock musicians. Most people yeah, you're looking at like, like, a collective of seven hours of sleep. Is yeah, I was going to say, like most most rock bands don't get to sleep till like one, two in the morning, something like that. So, That's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to start with like what I consider maybe the best story to tell, and that's just your guys's music and how you guys became this band because i think the first thing is how the hell did you guys land on this band sound because it's it's just one of the weirdest like i even told dave from dropped out which that band right there behind me um i was like sometimes it feels like they're actually actively making music just to see how far they can like go before people are like no that's not good anymore um so i'm like this is a pretty interesting take on music because you know you guys obviously play it people love it we respond crazily at, at live shows and you guys are very interactive. So what was the kind of, was this a conscious decision right from the start or did it like just happen as things started to make songs go, you know, as you starting to create songs or was this like, Hey, we need to be, we need to have something to stand out. And all of the above, all the above <laughs> like it's, it's a pretty conscious decision. Like I, I know that me and Chris as the primary songwriters, uh, we have a fairly wide, breadth of music we like and when i was writing for this band when i started the whole goal was to not say no to a song is to go ahead and come from every direction and see what we can do uh except for that one time for that one time we said no one time and i have to write it it was it was, uh, <laughs> it was tj's fault though that's fair no longer in the band that's fair <laughs> i moved we kicked him out for saying no once <laughs> yeah it's yeah. funny yeah yeah um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, I know for me, for sure, I, I, I get bored of hearing the same sound for 30, 45, one hour. So there's nothing worse than me than listening to a band and, you know, they're a, they're a skate punk band and all you hear is skate punk for 30 straight minutes or even 20 straight minutes or even one minute. 
Uh, like, <laughs> off by another member over there. Sorry. No, but like, it, you get the point. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm all on board with it. Like, I've reviewed albums, especially skate punk albums, where it's like, those are 10 straight of the same song. I don't understand why they just made this album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, think- I even said it in the review. I'm like, you, you, like, there'll be like, 14 second guitar intro then it's just like straight drum beat and the song sounds exactly the same every single like nine out of ten songs on that same formula i'm like what are you guys doing like can't mix it up a little bit like put a put an acoustic song in there i don't care just like throw something else in there but yeah <laughs> yeah no <clears throat> like when we when we started the project i i didn't really know kurt and rosie um i met maybe in passing them once at a show that uh our former guitar players other band was in but when we started the project, you know, it was fresh off the ground. Like there was no name, there was no kind of identity to sound. It was, hey, we want to do a punk ska band. And I've been playing ska on and off for 25 years in my career. And I was like, oh man, I didn't think I'd do this at this age. Yeah, I'm in. And uh, so early on, I think I originally was like, well, let me write a couple of ska songs because Kurt wasn't. And that's, yeah, Kurt was in, yeah. Punk, he's in his very punk phase. Yeah, which I love, Scott. I don't know why I wasn't writing it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, as the band progressed, I was like, oh, cool. I actually can do the same thing. I listen to so many different varied genres and have a lot of different influences that I like to incorporate in my songwriting and also non-traditional songwriting. I love, if you, if you listen to some old school pop, which pop is actually probably my biggest influence, yeah. I love songs that don't have a chorus. Uh, yeah. Dodo Bronto that we were talking about before we started recording technically doesn't have a chorus. It's just A, B, A, B parts. Yeah. It's like a weird outro. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the one thing I can say is like, and, and like you guys, you don't make long songs, right? So like most of the songs are usually like two and a half or, or minutes or under, but there'll be like an occasional maybe three minute song. But like you don't try oh, to, what was that? So we try, try not to. to. That's usually yeah. my fault. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you don't try to, throw stuff in just for the sake of fitting a formula or for like having a chorus or having a, you know, solo or something like that. You just make the song. And then if you're like, you know what? Sounds good as this. Like, why are we trying to force anything else in there? Um, So if you can can write the best parts and keep it in a minute and a half, why add the fluff? Why not just do another song that equally is as strong with the best few parts? Yeah. Uh, I think it goes back to, uh, I mean, even in school, you're you're taught to cut out everything unnecessary if you're even writing an essay. Yeah. And the idea is if you're just fluffing up an essay to get words, you're not actually getting content. And yeah. so I've always come from the standpoint where it's like you should edit down and condense to the most purest form. Because if something's not necessary for the song, then it's no one wants to hear it. Unless yeah. it's an extra instrument <laughs> <laughs> or a joke, yeah. we need a sax or we need a yeah, we need a, a trumpet or something like that. Yeah, but the uh, it's it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because I took creative writing when I was you know going through college and one of the creative writing exercises, creative writing exercises that one of these professors who was a, a pretty well known poet in their you know in poetry circles at the time, um, she mentioned that whatever you write, just take whatever you wrote cut it in half like take his half of the words out and then do that again and then you probably have what you actually wanted to say in the beginning anyway and i was like holy shit it's actually pretty true because like i started to do that and i was like it's missing nothing except for extra words now mm-hmm. i was like that's a pretty good way to go about it so it seems like that's kind of what you guys are doing with songwriting anyway like you can you definitely have like 
songs that are pretty dense in lyrics, but at the same time, you don't throw extra stuff in there, right? Like you're not just like fluffing up a song like you said. Sure, you want to meet a 10-page essay, you're going to say the same thing like seven times to make sure that you get yeah. to 10 pages, but it's not adding anything new and original. So you're just, you're not, you're not doing that. You're not repeating yourself basically. It's kind of like people when they're having conversations and they don't have anything really intelligent to say. And so all they do is say, well, at the end of the day, and they're just fluffing. Well, at the end of the day, Chris, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or or those repeat, like basically what you said, but then they try to make it like their own perspective. It's like, what? No, I just said that. Like you don't need to repeat that. The one thing I think that uh, obviously, again, I mentioned this, but like, you know, recording is one thing, obviously, but then your guys' live show is an entirely different animal, I think, than any in a lot of other bands. So, like, I unfortunately did not get to stay and see you guys because I was on, like, four hours of sleep and you guys played at, like, 2 a.m. And I was like, really, I'll die if I stay. <laughs> like, I have no energy. I've already been drinking for, like, 12 hours or something like that. So, um I, I assume you'll be back to Vegas at some point and, and I will definitely watch it then or I'll come to Texas if I have to. But um, do you think like the songs that you perform, do you like think of how you're going to perform the songs as you're writing them or does it kind of like you guys write in space like together or do you guys like write a song and then like kind of put the energy behind it later? Uh I don't ever think about how we're going to perform things live, for better or worse. Uh, <laughs> there are quite a few songs, like um, on this album, I remember have a have a sousaphone, and we weren't thinking about having a sousaphone player ever. It's like, well, we need a sousaphone. Uh, we don't have a keys player, and we're like, well, we need this organ, so let's go ahead and get that in. Uh, and I think the idea behind it is that um, it's it can be hard to capture what you do live so we might as well make the recording as ridiculous as possible too. Yeah. So yeah. We, we really want them to be, it probably sounds good, but we really want them to be two different experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not going to add things in the songs that are unnecessary. In fact, even in our recording process, we'll go through other instruments. We'll hire other musicians or we'll play. We all are multi-instrument, whatever words, um, <laughs> But we'll cut stuff. I mean, if it doesn't make sense or it's just too much or too much layered, like that's fine, whatever. It doesn't need to be there. But uh, as you're recording, a, a song can start to live its own life and breathe a little bit differently. And so, yeah, the intention is never how we're going to play it live. I think we know that we are chaos on stage and that we're going to play it a certain way live that's not going to be the record. And, and while we wish we could have the sousaphone, and, and we have actually a few times, uh, both the actual player uh, on the records and another friend have come up and done sousaphone with us. And that's actually some of my favorite moments of touring is when mm-hmm. random friends are able to come up uh, and join us on stage, including part of the tour we're on now where we, we're having additional horn players on a lot of nights. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, like, you know, if, if you make, because everybody who makes music has one of two processes. Well, there's multiple processes, but it's kind of like, you either write the song and then think about how it's going to be performed line, or you write the song kind of while you're all playing together, and then you kind of have the feel of energy from the song as it's as it's happening. And so you can kind of have that that energy right in the space. So you're like, okay, we need to find a way to capture that on recording that is close to a live version. Well, not as like it doesn't sound raw like live, but yeah. keep the energy of that live experience on the recording, right? So I was just curious if like you guys thought about that, like you know. Well, when I would you play always, a song, you're like, holy shit, this is awesome. Let's try to capture that. And I would always say we actually don't do either one of those. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. when, when we're writing music, it's, it's mostly coming from one songwriter. 
Um, yeah. So if Kurt is writing a song, Kurt is presenting us with a demo that's pretty much already laid out uh, and vice versa. Uh, we've done more collabs now. We've gotten really into somebody writing all the music and somebody writing the lyrics or uh, I would say seven months ago, uh, which I don't know if we've said this in the interview, so hey, mm -hmm. but I think seven months ago was the first time the three of us ever were in a room together in nine years and actually wrote a song together. Just started like yeah. jamming. Like we don't, yeah, we don't write songs together like other bands. Like I, I'm, we're all in multiple projects that do that where you're yeah. in a room and you're like, hey, I got this riff, let's walk through this or this and that. Like, nah, we usually kind of feel we're weird about it. I think it's why we have such a variance in, in sound is because a lot of our songs have a, a slightly singular voice to start. But then once we get in the studio, that's what we build on as a band. That's where all of our individual creativity kind of really blossom. Yeah. And our producer, actually. Yeah. Uh, would, would hate to leave him out. But uh, Drew LeClaire is our producer for uh, the last album, our 7-inch uh, album two, uh, and some upcoming tracks that we've recorded. And it's, you know, he's he's the sixth Beatle or seventh Beatle, <laughs> however many Beatles are where we can't count. But I mean, how many are clones? Oh yeah, they're all clones. That's, That's McCarty so, for sure. There's probably at least twenty Beatles at this point. <laughs> yeah, they infest. Yeah, I was gonna say to sort of build off of what Chris said. Um, it's like it's like someone will come with a song and as we start to practice it, I think there's certain things that I'll hear mm -hmm. that people don't know that I hear because it's hard to hear vocals when you're practicing in a ten by ten room with drums yeah. and stuff, right? And then we'll get in the studio and be like, no, 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 guys, this is what, let me, let me sing this. Or like, I have this harmony idea. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, wait, what? Like, I had no idea. Like, that's yeah. kind of how Tommy Westfall on oh, the second yeah. album happened. Like, I don't think Chris was expecting it. And I was like, no, 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 this is the vocal track. Like, let when, me lay it. When Rosie <laughs> recorded the vocals on that, I think it was one of the first times in my musical career that I got, like, fucking goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> Yeah, I would say like the you're you're absolutely right about like playing something live and like trying to do vocal harmonies. It's like it's you can do it, but whether or not it comes through on the actual PA system, you know, that's played or not is a whole different scenario. But that's what the recording's for, right? You want the recording to sound like you're in a vacuum. This is what the music would sound like if if all the ideal conditions worked, right? So I think that's that's you know, obviously having Kurt write all the the pieces, and that's kind of what I did when I used to play in a band is like I would have the band show up. I'm like, hey, guys, I wrote this, you know, rudiment bass and rudiment drums. You guys work off of that. It was like we could write 100 songs in a month kind of thing if we want to do that way. Whereas, like, if everybody's like, let's all get together and let's try to make a song, which I know bands that do that. I'm like, yeah, you're going to spend three hours of, of rehearsal trying to get one song. So it's like yeah. get some sort of preparedness ready because otherwise, you know, especially if you're, you're in a rehearsal space, and you're paying for those hours, you're going to be wasting a lot of money real quick. So I think there's got to be some sort of conductor or engineer of the, the songwriting construction and then kind of go from there. But um, that's interesting because, yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, later on when you, you, you like Kurt, you're like, I don't even think about the live performance because you're, I guess you're just a maniac. You just go up there and do whatever the hell you're going to do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and things naturally, like as we, as we live in a song live, you start to, A, you change it from the recordings anyways, yeah. uh, but then you start to realize just maybe little things. Like, I don't know that our intention when writing Squat Core was truly to have the entire room doing squats with it. We were hoping, <laughs> but then also the band, like I stand on my drum throne and do squats now. Very scary. Don't recommend it because uh, mine's broken, so I'm waiting for the day it snaps. But, you know... Uh, danger stands on their base amp. Yeah, danger stands on their base amp, stuff like that. Or like we we never would no no bronze or like we're gonna have sock puppets 
at the shows. Like we, we did it for the music video, but I don't think the intention was the shows, right? No, actually that one's different. Oh, okay. Um, so no, it's all good. It's because as as we we had a lineup change and moving forward, I was like, well, how do we still have the same kind of like a similar kind of energy and crazy live show, but I want it to be more fun and less <coughs> like like more joyful. Like, like not yeah. feeling as like angry, and I, I don't know how it jumped in my mind, but they did, and I was like, "This is perfect. We need to do this." Um, yeah, so that one, but is different. But that's not usually the case. Usually, it kind of happens as we're playing or on tour yeah. as a joke or you know things like well, that. We of. weren't planning on it, but at Muddy Roots uh, Music Festival, we baptized Kurt in Monster Energy drink in a kiddie pool during the song. <laughs> during Monster Within. Yeah, during Monster Within. <laughs> This is what I'm talking about. Like you guys will have a conga line. You'll baptize a member of in, in Monster Energy drinks. You'll have sock puppets. When I'm talking about like people are like, oh, how weird can this band be? Like those are three prime examples of like, what the fuck are we talking about here? We're talking about sock puppets and getting baptized in Monster Energy drink. <laughs> yes, that's true. So, uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't lying when I said that there's some weird weird stuff going on. But uh, you know, you had mentioned this as well, Rosie. Like the the, the lineup has changed over the years. I'm just curious, like, how does that, you know, obviously, I think, Kurt, you were playing bass. Uh, I think you do trumpet and a couple other things. But now trombone. you're like, trombone, that's right. Um, now you're doing, um, you know, full-time lead stuff, right? Like, you're not playing the bass. You have a new bass player. Um, the former lead singer is not in the band. How does that change dynamics? And, and what does that, do you think there's more energy, less energy, like different energy? Or, or what do you kind of see from, from the lineup change uh, that's happened? I, I think we have, it's a... It's definitely a good energy we have now. I think there was some definitely unhealthy things that we had with the last lineup. Um, just being in a band with people, interpersonal relationships, uh, things were not the best. Um, we changed things away so it's less of a frontman-focused band. We kind of are trying to make it spread out more so that the focus is on the whole group and not just the individual. Yeah. Um, I love going over the vocals. I've I've always liked singing. Uh, yeah. I, when I joined the band, I joined as a bass player because we knew we had the other vocalist, but I'm glad I got to switch over to do it. Yeah, and you were doing, you know, either secondary vocals or backup vocals on most tracks anyway, right? Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I guess the, the, the decision to go into the front man, the dynamic of you were already doing weird stuff like wearing costumes or dancing around in your underwear, but now it's like you literally are just doing like, that's like your new instrument is your outfit as well, right? Like you get to express yourself, not necessarily just on the, the, the singing parts, but like the fashion that you bring. So what, what goes through your mind before you go on stage? Is there like, Hey, today it's going to be a diaper or today it's going to be whatever. Right. Like what, what, what do you think of before you retired the diapers? Yeah. yeah the, the, uh, the, what goes through my head every day is what color are my boxers? Um, and are they the right boxers that don't have my penis flying out of them? <laughs> yeah, is there something securing me? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's that's the only thing I ever wear. I'm always just in my boxers. Yeah, <laughs> Rosie, our costumes more. What were you gonna say? Oh yeah, and I start. I, I now have drum shoes because I wanted to be fancier. I felt <laughs> left out, so I now have red velvet band slip-ons so I can walk nice. the red carpet every day. I don't know that I have a formula, but I just, I like finding weird, really bright colors. Ah, some of it's because like when we were touring, like in the summer, 
one of the easiest things to wear is just like basically like a muumuu or like you know like Mexican grandma dress, like a abuela dress, and because they're super airy and they just feel great. And then eventually, I just we were playing a lot of like old dingy bars with like all punk dudes that were wearing all black, and I was just like lame. <laughs> I want to wear. Yeah like the dorkiest thing and then just put on a crazy show so that people are like oh shit like so sometimes it's just like it comes out of that like wanting to wear bright clothes like I, huge earrings like and i would say that i mean and rosie definitely you, you think about the stuff you buy or not but it's not the kind of thought people would think it is it's just like you yeah like it, it's not stage by the way like yeah we're the same thing whether we're on stage or oh, not yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. like I don't think we put a lot of thought into it is what kind of what I was going to do. We're not that kind of band. <laughs> like even the monster energy drink baptism of money roots couldn't have been more than a 20 minute prior conversation. It was very quick. It happened. Me like, and Craig both had the same idea and he said it out loud and I was like, Oh, I'm thinking this. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's the monster energy ladies were, were sporting their wares and passing out the free monster. And so we grabbed a couple cases. So we grabbed some cases from them. They were in the tent next to where we were at muddy roots and, we play Scott. We can't afford a couple cases of Monster. Yeah, yeah. And they're happy to give them away because we're like, "Hey, we're a touring band. Is it is it cool to take a case?" And they're like, "Yeah, take. Here you go." And we're like, "Okay." And they're fired now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk about the album because, like I said, it's it's absolutely killer. Like all the way through. Like I haven't really heard a bad song from you guys yet, but they're like I said, they're all strange in their own way. Like Thank a lot you. of them have high energy. Uh, then they'll just suddenly switch to a different like melody or a ska ska riff or something like that, and the timing structures might change. So it gets strange. But how did you guys actually go into the this album? Did you have any sort of? Because obviously, it's you know, was this the this is the first full length since you switched lineups, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like, did you have a different kind of thought process going into this one versus the previous recordings, or was it let's just make the music? Uh, no, no, not really, because uh, the some of the songs were, were actually most of the songs were written when we had the old lineup, and okay. so we had yeah, worked we on some of them primarily. We yeah. recorded yeah. most of it when they were uh, still in the band. It, okay. I know that for me, my approach was I had been listening to a lot of uh, cumbia as well as I was really getting into Iron Reagan and um, Trash Talk and a couple of other hardcore bands. Yeah. And so I think perfect, I was, perfect alignment, cumbia and hardcore punk. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I think the approach I was coming from was trying to see how can I mix those into songs together. And that was, I think, in terms of songwriting, one of the biggest things that I was approaching. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I'm writing songs, I'm not really thinking. Again, there's not a lot of thought, I think, in the traditional. We don't sense. think very much. We don't think very much. But like, <laughs> I think, I think when I wrote, like, I wrote No No Bronto. And other than my passion about educating the world that the brontosaurus never existed, because that is an actual true fact and not a joke, uh, <laughs> but it's really fucking funny. Uh, I think I purposely was like, oh, let me write a really dope hardcore like 90s breakdown for part of the song, because that's what I grew up listening to. And I know Kurt would, would get a kick on it. Yeah. But that's as much thought that went into it was how can I do this very basic Scott part to a very heavy hardcore thing? Uh, yeah. and, you know, obviously with recording the song involved to be the best version of itself, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, we write a lot, actually, like we probably already have at least 14 plus songs just sitting somewhere between the three of us. Um, and whether or not they all end up on that album, you know, I don't, I don't think we approach it that way. Yeah. Do you guys, do you guys have like, uh, an idea in your head of like, 
hey, now it's time to start recording? Or do you guys just feel like, all right, we've done a tour, we've been touring, uh, you know, we've got these songs, we really want to put them out, so now we should go record them? Or is there like, you guys kind of have like a schedule in your head at all? Oh, totally. I mean, not that it's like something we can actually stick to. <laughs> we're, we're touring so hard that yeah. it's actually been really difficult to find the time to even get together and work on new songs. Yeah. Um, and I think and that, it's something that because we're touring so much, we kind of have to schedule out like, okay, we need to set this goal. And this is when we're going to have to do it in order to the projected of when we're going to put it out. And like all the, there's a lot of management in our brains that go into it. I think yeah. right now we have, cause we have a couple of singles we recorded um, that are going to be on various either comps or splits that will be for next year so that we can take the time to finish writing and recording what will be uh, Live Free or Hans Gruber and the Die Hards. Okay. Uh, that's like an exclusive. Live Everyone knows. Free. No one gets, not, not people, I feel like some people don't get the joke. You oh, got the joke. Yeah. Oh, if you don't get the joke by now, then come on. Those are my favorite people. <laughs> That's yeah, if you're listening to me. Hans Gruber and the Diehards and you've never seen any or all of the Diehards movies, well, you're, you're, I don't know what you're even wasting. Why, why are you wasting your time? Go, go watch the movies. Not that you have to. The music's totally fine by itself. Not related to the movies, but. The, you know, you you know, know. technically, actually, the, we're, we're not named after the movies. We're actually uh, named after Reanimator. Okay. Uh, Dr. Hans Gruber is the first person that gets killed in that movie. And that's a real fact. Go he look died it up. hard. He died yeah. hard. Also, Reanimator's amazing, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that movie since probably, I don't know, whatever, two years after it came out, like 20, 30, what the fuck, 30 years ago now? Something? It holds up, yeah. it holds up yeah. very well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, the one thing I will say is that when you talk about releasing your music, I know that you guys, like I mentioned earlier, you do things your own way, even to the expense, extent that you've done your own videos, the, the freaking cockroach video, uh, that was... I'm like, how the fuck long did it take Kurt to write or to make this video? Because like this seems way too insane. Like even simple animations, I'm like, no way, this would take me forever. Um, but you do you like a lot of your own marketing. You do obviously, you know, word of mouth and all that stuff. It's not easy. And I know you guys are on Scott Punk International Records, but and that's another indie label as well. But like, what do you guys think? Like, do you have advice for other people who are trying to do this, or do you do you like? Wow. <laughs> Don't, don't do this what are you doing to yourself uh, days ago in a different podcast we're like do it do your oh, art and then today yeah. Oh. Yeah. like if you want to live off this don't do it go get a job it, yeah I mean I guess it's um, as funny as it is, is going out and doing it is the, the biggest part of it and also that you won't be good immediately yeah. the hurdles the hurdles are really really big and it's really hard because we we get asked a lot by other bands and pairs like how do you guys tour this much how are, you guys are grinding and there there are quite a few bands doing it too uh, i always love to mention some kind of nightmare because i think they technically tour more than any other band in the u.s right now 100 oh, they pretty much don't stop they they tour almost year round yeah um, and voice of addiction from chicago they're like non-stop touring right now public serpents have just been killing it with their touring um and everyone's like how do you guys do it and it's like well you have you know, the, the hardest hurdle, right? The biggest one is outside of doing your art and wanting to be a part of that and, and making your life and your passion and your job, you have to find the right group of people who can do that, can leave their employments, can find a way to survive. Because it, 
it's a massive sacrifice. Like there's no way around it. Like we all struggle in this band when we go home. Um, the band, the band success only helps further the success. Like the money, the money is not, we're not going home and having lattes. You know, when I drop a banana, you can't even I, afford lattes, forget champagne. <laughs> when, I, when I go home, you know, when we're on tour and I drop a banana at a gas station, that's already peeled into the pump water. I'm picking that up and eating it. Cause I'm <laughs> fucking poor. Uh, you know, we, when we see a community garden, you can bet Hans Grimmer, the diehards is raiding it. If there's a Papa John's dumpster, you bet we open the top of it. Like we need food, but we don't have a lot of money. We want to make sure a lot of the money we make funds the band. And that's a really hard decision to make. And, and, you know, we do a lot of things on tour advice wise that I think helps us be able to do that. Like staying in the communities we're playing, uh, having dinners and meals with our fans and friends, uh, making those connections beyond just being a live show. But ultimately, you have to go out and play, and you have to play smaller markets. You, you know, we see bands, and I bring this up a lot, but we see bands that do short tours, long distances. So you're in the van longer, you're spending more money on gas, and it's like, are you going to go back there in a year? Because what did you do? You teased everybody. Yeah. Uh, do a do a thirty day tour, cut down your drives, don't spend as much money. We tour with a pressure cooker in the back of that van, and when we need to, man, we will make a pot of beans. There, that's it. Maybe we'll throw a jalapeno and an onion in there. Maybe some pickles in there. Yeah, pickles yeah. and beans. Uh, one of our members <laughs> is obsessed with pickles and beans when we eat them. We're <laughs> mad. But, like, we all have to leave our jobs to do this is kind of the roundabout way of going. So, like, we are fortunate in that sense that we have kind of found jobs and careers that ha- at this moment, <laughs> yeah, at the moment are letting us, uh, you know, and I say letting us. Look, if I went back to my job and they said, hey, you can't do this anymore, I'd be like, fuck off. This is my Too job. Too bad. Yeah, like, yeah. I will Bye. find other means. Uh, yep. We live in a society where as much as I don't want to promote it, but being able to do auxiliary income jobs like ride share and things like that can really help offset this touring lifestyle because I'm not yeah. coming home and, and making the money I made while I was at work. So between tours, I'm sitting there and we're all doing what we can individually to raise money, to pay our future bills while we're on the road so that we don't have to stress about that and we can enjoy the moment because it's, we have the best job on earth. Like this is, yeah. you know, it's hard but it's what we want to do and that getting over that, getting over that hump, I think is really difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, obviously not everybody can, there are, yeah. there is some level of privilege that we're able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that needs to be said, but, but it is still a sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll say there's two things to kind of like reiterate there just so people who are listening can actually understand. Like if you're in a, a band and you want to know how to make a, a DIY band work, right build relationships, especially with the people who are listening to your music. They might host you at their house. They might give you some free food. They might, you know, you know, have them, you can stay at their place or whatever. You can store stuff there, whatever. Like those are some of the best relationships you can make for a touring band. And then you can come back to that place later. They can help you book a gig sometimes. Yeah. They can help so don't you. trash it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't, don't. We're, we're the most boring band. We, we, we will clean your house if you ask. Yeah. So we, will, we are respectful. I think the worst we did was that I put the wrong kind of soap in the dishwasher. Oh yeah, you did. That was after oh, Kurt drank his own urine out of one of their shot glasses. <laughs> that was that was an exception that we. <laughs> it was for we... a contest, we we didn't. It was a goof. It was a goof. <laughs> I washed it. I think the second thing I want. Yeah, I think the second thing I want to reiterate there is get creative with your income sources because a lot of people think that they're going to make money just like we're going to make enough money from our music and selling merch, and you guys sell a lot of music and merch like like a lot more than a lot of bands that I know, like you guys have creative merch. So like 
most people who go out and, and do this are thinking in their head, that's going to support everything. You guys are talking about like getting food from various places. You're talking about making income from various places. Like, you know, you're not always playing every night on every tour and sure you want a night off, but you still can't like just live free or else you'll die hard. Right. That's right. Uh, the holophonics <laughs> taught us that we are uh, traveling t-shirt salesmen and we really yeah. took that to heart. Uh, and I think we all agree the advice there is uh, stop printing black shirts in mass. Or uh, only. Anyway. Or only. Yeah. Like what we've learned is we are a fun and colorful band. Hell, Rosie's kind of wearing black. <laughs> for once. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for once. Uh, but we get more compliments because of our merch game. And when we hear from other bands, how do you guys make money on the road? Every time we come home, we've never technically come home from a tour in a deficit. We've technically made money every tour that covered gas and any motels we needed, yeah. plus all expenses, whatever. Um, and, and really our merch game, we, that honestly, we put a lot of thought into it. Like we hire professional artists. Uh, we come up with concepts and designs that we share with them. Uh, and there's so many we haven't done because we were just crazy. <laughs> Like we really, we just think of so many yeah. things we want. Like if we printed every shirt we've talked about, there would be at least 40 more shirts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I do want to bring up one thing because before we go into the break, I want to, uh, during the break, I want to play the song, No, No Bronto, the, the video for it. But I want to come back to this, Chris, because you and I are on the same page about the Brontosaurus never existing. I actually, when I grew up in the 80s, Learned of the brontosaurus, right? That was one oh, yeah. of the main, like, eight or nine dinosaurs you learned about, right? And then all of a sudden, they were like, no, it's actually the brachiosaurus, or it has the, the skull or of the brachiosaurus. Yeah. yeah, and, like, the, uh, whatever, like, other versions of the bones were being mixed together. And it's like, so this dinosaur that you grew up, like, the Flintstones had on their cartoons and all this other stuff, like, brano ribs and stuff like that, never existed just because two guys were literally, like, fighting over who's going to name dinosaurs first, essentially, right? Yeah. So the Bones Wars, as you actually mentioned in this video, like, I, I don't think people are going to quite understand if they just watch this and don't have any idea about archaeological, you know, back, you know, backstory, unless they start really listening to what Rosie's saying in the, in the music video. But uh, talk to me about why was this important to you? Because you are in the education realm, right? Or at least I, I was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I worked in higher education for 14 years, which is just weird because it's not why, like, that's... I, when I learned about the Bone Wars, it was just that moment of, oh, great, another thing America did to uneducate me, to, to do yeah. wrong, right? Like, like wait, Columbus did didn't discover America? Yeah, like, why did I have to move to Texas to learn about Black Wall Street or Juneteenth? Like, growing up yeah. shows, never even heard those words, right? Yeah. And those are way more important, by the way. It's shitty for me to even bring up compared to the Brontosaurus. But for the Brontosaurus, it just really irked me that we've known about its non-existence since 1912 or 1915. So yeah. we had all these years. And when I was, when I found that out and I started researching very, very small research, by the way, I didn't need to do much. Uh, oh, here's the U S government in the seventies. We're going to print a series of stamps. And one of the stamps is going to be a brontosaurus and the world scientific community. And I say world, because it was a lot of people got together and sent a letter to, I, I, I don't know if it was just to the U.S. Post Office you know, body or whatnot, but they sent a letter and they're like, can you please not do this? It's not real. And the response from the government was, oh, but it's such a part of American culture. We have to. <laughs> and we that to. one sentence when I read it said, fuck, I'm writing this song. Yeah. But I also, when I moved to Texas, I, I just learned this fact. And I was at a party. I was dating somebody 
uh, I was at a party and one of her best friends had a little brontosaurus tattooed on her wrist. I was like, oh, that's fucking cute. That's not real. <laughs> I wasn't. You have to realize that people that have guy. unicorn tattoos though, right? So like. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like, what are you talking about? That's my favorite dinosaur. And then I gave her the story and I ruined her night. And I said, I need to ruin more people's nights. <laughs> like I want to ruin everyone's night because you need to know the truth, right? We're living in a very weird couple of years and, and probably the rest of our lives. And this is one of the few things where I was like, no, I want to, I want to actually talk about this. I want this to be real. I want to express it. Um, and weirdly enough, people just, because of who we are, they're like, oh yeah, they're just, they're just goofing again. Like, no, I'm not goofing. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually like semi-passionate about this one. <laughs> like, fuck you, care? Brontosaurus. Fuck all you people who we, said Brontosaurus. We had, a, we had a woman in Medford, Oregon, came to our show with a pro Brontosaurus shirt from a museum she didn't she wasn't trying she didn't even know we were playing she had no clue we were but she walked up to our merch table it was at johnny b's yeah and she saw that we had this you know our nono bronto shirt which is like the cross buster but with brontosaurus and she was like what is this crap and i explained it to her and after our show she bought that fucking shirt (laughs) yeah it's one of those things i think that you know like i said growing up you don't hear of you only hear of brontosaurus as being one of like, and if you even look on Wikipedia, because I was like, you know, I've, I've looked at this several times over, and it still has a, a semi-relevant or because... sem- <laughs> facts for brontosaurus being real, right? So in 2015, they found a new species, and they decided, hey, let's 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 be revisionist here. Let's, let's, mass- let's reanimate. Yeah. Let's, let's re-animate. now call this the Brontosaurus. Yeah. And so they literally like, we're going to, and it's like, no, don't do that. Cause now you're wiping away yeah. this 100 plus year lie that people should be educated on, on how rich predominantly white men were in this selfish mode of, I want to do more than the other. And I don't know if you know, part of the bone wars were like, they were going to dig sites. And if they heard the crew from the other was coming, they literally were setting dynamite to the dig site so nobody would find anything other than what they found. Yeah. Like, this isn't a good story. This is these are bad people. Like yeah. every intention they had was a selfish discovery intention. And it's like, no, man, like this nah. discovery. Yeah. yeah. So naming it a Brontosaurus, I think now is just as insulting. Like, yeah. They should have done it. Like they should have named it after Greg Graff in a bad religion. He's already got a bird. We need to give him a dinosaur. He's ancient. Like that's yeah. my favorite singer. That's probably rude. <laughs> I was gonna say it's, it's your favorite religion. It's your favorite dinosaur. It's bad religion dinosaur. Yes. <laughs> That's the shirt. <laughs> All right. So I do want to play this song. Do I get, do I have your guys' 100% permission to play? You have our, our permission. You have our consent. Perfect. So Spotify, YouTube, if you have any issues, take it up with Hans Gruber and the Diehards. I'm playing this goddamn music video. We'll see you guys right after this break to bring Hans Gruber and the Diehards into the spotlight with some hot seat questions. That should be a lot of fun. See you right after this.
Welcome back to the Powered by Rock podcast. I am here with Hans Gruber and the Diehards. We're going to be putting them into the spotlight. See if we can make them sweat a little bit with some interesting questions. Maybe they're not as interesting as they are, though. That's the only problem. Like, how do you weird out the weirdest band, right? So uh, are you guys ready to be put in the spotlight regardless? Yes. All right, let's do this. So number one, Austin, Texas has famously used the catchphrase, keep Austin weird for over two decades. Do you guys take that as a challenge? I think it's bullshit. <laughs> we're we're very corporate weird in Austin. Yeah. Uh, we are the um, uh, we are too weird. Like uh, oh shit, what's that TV show? Uh, second, someone else yep. say something. I got I, I know which it. one you're talking so, about. No, we don't try to live up to it because it's a PR stunt and yeah. we call bullshit on them. Uh, it's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys are America's greatest team or the America's, America's football team. team. Yeah, That's all PR stuff. Uh, Austin's not the where to say. Didn't they steal it from Portland, Oregon? No, Austin had the first. Austin Actually, it was the other way around. Yeah, Portland stole yeah. it from Austin. Yeah. So. Portland's being weirder than us. Try to remember it. Portland's definitely fucking weirder than Austin, but Austin is weird in itself for sure. Portland is. None of us are from there, technically. Yeah. And so I think most people that grew up there would just right away tell you it was weirder. Yeah, but now it's Crane City, so it's just developments uh, and it's boring. So no. Austin is too weird, like Big Bang Theory is to nerdiness. <laughs> yeah, I can't watch that show for that exact reason. It's, it's terrible. It's like, it is. It like, is one of the worst. And I'm sorry if you like the show. Fuck no, I hate that show. I've told everybody it's a piece of shit. So it's one of the worst shows. It's like everyone's wearing like like nerd face. It's yeah. Like the only way to describe yeah, it. Yeah. Like I've, I've actually said this before yeah. and I, cause I get really mad about the show. I've tried to watch it with terrible. my wife. Yeah. No. Dude, it's just, I always tell people if you're smart and you watch it, you're going to hate it because you'll get the jokes, but they're not funny. And if you don't know what they're joking about, you'll think it's funny because you think that that's some reference that you should be laughing at. And it's like, it's just fucking made for stupid people to laugh at not funny nerd jokes. Right? Like I'm like, there's nothing funny about this show. And Chuck Lorre is one of the worst, TV makers of all time. Everything he puts on the air is fucking garbage. Two broke <laughs> girls might as well have been just like the worst show. Like, here's a concept. Let's let's make it. It's fucking horrible. Let's put it on air. That's that's Chuck Lorre's concepts in a nutshell for me. But I, I digress because I could talk about garbage Chuck Lorre shows all day. <laughs> How I Met Your Mother was like okay for like a couple seasons, oh. and then they did like the uh, writer strike, and it just came back, and it was even worse than before. But yeah, like it was funny for a little while, and only because of like the, the the fact that Jason Siegel was on, I think he was probably the reason why I watched it, and Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. The rest of the cast and the rest of the jokes yeah, were fucking dude, garbage. I'm like, these guys are talented. They're funny, but most of this is just dog shit. But that's that's like the only thing I can say, like, Chuck Lorre did that was almost watchable. And so. I, I want to read because I feel like I was harsh on Austin. I actually love Austin. I met my wife there. I'm stuck. Um, but <laughs> when it comes to being weird, I don't think it – really has that cred but as a city that we live in and, and have our community like i actually love living there mainly because yeah. it doesn't really snow that's probably the the only thing i care about at this point in life but austin austin's pretty rad for us but and i do think like it probably got the name because there was there is some old there was there's some, there when was leslie some, was like, around that place was yeah. weird yeah. well compared to the rest of the texas you could consider it weird as well because the rest of texas is i don't know weird. odessa midland is pretty fucking oh weird. they are fucking <laughs> But they're weird for like weird. I don't want to get into it weird, but like, like trailer like, trash meth weird. Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Meth, meth, and, meth and racism weird. Yeah. I've never been to Odessa and Midland, but I can assume any any podunk 
then they're not small cities by any means. They're like still a hundred thousand plus cities. Right. But like, you're talking about like cities that have legitimate, like 60% meth use in the city or something like that. And you're like, Holy shit. I think that the working on the oil rigs is a very difficult job. And that the only way people know how to cope with it is excessive drug and alcohol use. And that's just the nature of that career. And um, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Let's get into question number two. So that first question got off the rails a little bit, but that's all all good. Welcome to a Hans Gruber interview. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You want to talk about cheese? Uh, Yeah. So this one's a little bit easier. And it's basically to help shout out the Austin music scene or Texas music scene. I know you guys aren't all from Austin, but who are some of your favorite Austin or Texas-based bands? We're going to say it at the same time. Let's see if we all do it. One, two, three. Drop Bond Breaker. <laughs> Damn, I didn't get here, but you're right. Bond, Bond Breaker, I thought. It, it dropped well, out. Yeah. Is dropped too. Out. Yeah. The Butts. Yeah. Shitty advice. I said dropped out because it was, I was like, it's relevant. It's right behind you. We got this. Yeah. But, which is true, but... Proving that Rosie can read. That's that's the what I you know, I'm the only one that can. <laughs> um yeah, Bomb Breaker's been killing it. If you don't know them, Just check them out. Yeah. yeah. So good. Uh Molly Ringworm is one of my favorite hardcore. Where we got drop me drop, rings. Dropped out. We actually uh Rosie appears on that one. She sings yeah, some I songs. That album. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have actually been killing it. They've, yeah, they they've just been doing... got home from tour yesterday, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I I saw them. Obviously, I've, I know Dave from being on this podcast before, but he came here, did a solo show, and then he came back through with Dropped Out and did another show, and they're they're just really good. They're a really good yeah. band. Yeah. It's very tight. Um, yeah. Tron is, like, we sat, we, we sat in, like, I they hung out at my house, and we drank some beers afterwards, and Tron is a crack up and Rudy who was on tour with them. I know Charlie's like the, the kind of hometown basis for like recording and stuff, but Charlie's actually been on the show for break lights when that album came out, which I think that that used to be on the wall, but I think it was further down, but like, I've just had to rotate some things lately, but um, yeah, there's a lot of, it's crazy. Like the one thing I will say about Austin, especially is that they really, really, really promote live music. Whereas a lot of music or a lot of cities in America would rather just have DJs, especially Las Vegas. Like, They'd either have a cover band or a DJ. And I'm like, holy shit, like, this is the worst. We have a lot of bands, for sure. And I love that fact that, like, when people are like, oh, what's the Austin punk community? Like, not Scott, because there's only a few bands. But there actually are new ones coming up right now. We're homies with usually most of the people that are starting bands at this point. Um, But, I mean, it's easy to probably name, I'd say, 50 bands, if I put my mind to it, that are actively playing in the Austin punk community. Um, Whether it's punk, hardcore, et cetera, kind of extreme music. And that's awesome. And we get to see those people all the time. And so our, our kind of the band, I don't know, they're all really good friends too that just happen to be making some great music that we wish more people heard. Yeah. Or people are hearing because like Bond Breaker mm-hmm. is working with Grimace Records, which is NBC owned, and their new album came out. They're literally their album release, they sold out, which. Yeah, they uh, sold out Mohawk and then they released 50 more tickets day up and then sold those out yeah, instantly. Yeah, we couldn't wow. have gone over them. was killer. Yeah. Um, and. You know, Dropped Out has another record coming out. Uh, you know, some of the we've been privileged. We've heard both parts of it. Uh, tr- all of those are... And maybe uh, sang on another part. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what other bands? I know. it's it, There's it's so many that it's hard. Well, I'm I mean, trying not to name the projects we're in. The Capitalist Kids. Oh, so good. The Awful yes. Lot. Yes, also good. And, I mean, and, and 
gearing away from punk or rock, I guess, is there's so many good like cumbia bands, and a lot of them are cover bands. But Money Chicha is one that comes to mind. That's Money amazing. Superfonicos. Superfonicos. El Tule. Even more famous with Black Pumas. They're oh yeah. Kill it. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and Jackie uh, Venison. Yeah, Jackie Venison's amazing. And yeah. um, so I think Giant Dog. Uh, yeah, we want to play with them someday. Shout out. Uh, Say what's <laughs> Yeah. You know, so many good bands in Austin. Yeah. Ben Queller, but he's really famous. Ben Queller, Ben Queller. He's been was famous since he was like 16, though, too. So like that's been, that's been like I didn't even know he was still. I, I had a feeling he was still making music, but like I remember seeing him on like ben a Carson Daly show way back when he was like 16 when he, he released his first yeah. album. I was like, who's this guy? Like Ben Queller, and then like he kind of blew up for a few years, and now he's just doing his own thing. Yeah, yeah he's still releasing music. Uh, like I said, he was at our Fishbone show, and like everyone, like my wife and people that know I'm really, really, really into him, were like, Ben Queller's here. I was like, I, I know, I saw him, but we're not, you know, I call him Benny Quelquo because we're best friends in my mind. <laughs> yeah. But um, I went up to him after our set. I was like, hey, did you did you catch the, the band? And he goes, no, were they good? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in it. He oh. goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I was, on the, I was on the bus with Fishbone. It's like, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also would have been on the bus with Fishbone and not drummed if I was asked. Fair, yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. So let's get to question number three. So this one is an Austin specific question because um, I ask people about this. And I just asked a friend who lives there the other day about this. And he's like, you don't go to Rainy Street if you're cool, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. But I know Austin is known for their tacos and Texas in general has the best barbecue. I will say Texas has the best barbecue because I love it there. But for my money, the best place to eat in Austin might be Banger Sausage on Rainy Street. I fucking love a good sausage, and, and they have really good sausage. What's your surprising go-to food in Austin that maybe is not a taco or best barbecue or sausage place? Uh, ramen Tatsuya. What was that? Ramen Tatsuya. Okay. Where is that at? There's like Bunch of locations. four locations now that used okay. to be on South Lamar, and it would be just packed out of the wazoo, huge line. But eventually they've opened up a couple more spots in different areas of the city. Um, best, we've not that we've had ramen everywhere because it's not like the cheapest thing to eat on tour, but we've tried it a couple different places. I've never had ramen that good. Yeah. It's yeah ramen, ramen can be fucked up easily for sure. Like the broth and, has to be right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they even have like a really great vegan ramen. If you're vegan, it's like a curry, like a Japanese curry style and it's delicious. Yeah. Anything else? I, Probably. I always recommend uh, El Pollo Reggio or El Pollo Rico to people. There, it's the charcoal chicken that is, I believe, Monterey, Monterey. style, gotcha. and uh, it's it, it's actually one of those things that it's not really found too much in the U.S. But that Monterey style chicken is like absolutely fantastic. And like, I think the other day I was realizing how much I love it. It's just something I get fairly often because it's quick and cheap and easy. But it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. You just order like in in chickens. You get like a half chicken or a whole chicken, or you want yeah, four chickens. Chicken. Yeah. I'll take that rack right there. Give me that rack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll go bougie because I okay. I like I'm crazy. Uh, all my favorite places have mostly closed in Austin over the last couple of years. So typical uh, hipster response. Grow up, man. Yeah, I can't. No, <laughs> no, I haven't wanna... even heard of this place. It was underground. It was in a sewer somewhere. No, I mean, yeah, were. well, that's true though. We could we could. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Two Michaels, two Michaels. Yeah, Burger Tex. Uh, no, uh, well, for, for a burger, I think the best burger I've ever had in my life is Casino El Camino. Yep. And that's not bougie. That's an awesome horror punk rock bar on 6th Street, which it's only good food mostly on 6th Street, except for 
Uh, but ghetto, 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 yeah. which is newer. Yeah. Um, nice. But for like like high end food, there's a couple of spots that are just you know when I first moved there, there wasn't a lot of high end food coming from like Boston uh, and living outside of New York City my whole life. And uh, Uchi Uchiko, uh, you know, uh, Odd Duck are all these restaurants that are really trying different things. And yeah. but you know you got to drop money for it, so yeah, um, I'm and gonna go back for the burger. Although, although now that Chris mentioned bougie, this isn't bougie per se, but it's just more expensive. But I have to mention it because uh, Kurt and I went there on our anniversary, and I remember eating one of the things and being like, "Oh my, I forgot how good this tastes." Like I was just like, it's like slowly, just like it's so good. Taste of Ethiopia. Oh yeah, okay. so good. Yeah, Get that's the what I. I always like to throw like a, a local food question in there, or like some sort of weird food question because I love to eat. So like wherever I go, like. You know, I've been to Austin four or five times, but I would have never eaten at probably any of those places because everybody's like, you got to go to this place or this place. And I'm yeah, like, well, it's, yeah, got to well, go to this place maybe once in your life. You don't go back there all the time, though. Right. Yeah. And for barbecue, well, Austin does have very good barbecue. And there's a few spots that stand out like Franklin, Style <laughs> Switch, La Barbecue and a few others. You actually yeah. have to go to you have to go 20 to 30 miles outside of Austin because Central Texas is technically the famous barbecue, not Austin. So you have to go to yeah. Taylor, you have to go to Lockhart, you know, you have to go to Louis Mueller's or Black's or Snow's and uh, quite a few others. Uh, I was a lot fatter a year and a half ago because I went to every single one of these. <laughs> I was on a challenge, all right? <laughs> I did. I did seven in two days. Man, nice. <laughs> all right. So let's go to question number four, not food related. Um, I will say you guys don't seem like the type of band to start drama with other bands, but I'm going to try to kind of reverse that trend. Oh, uh, we got just say... Getty right now. Let's go. No. <laughs> so if, if I don't know if you've had any bands that you've had a beef with in the past, but either in real life or just fictitiously, drive some controversy with what band you would say you wanted to create a rivalry with. I mean, I literally made a post about Sergeant Skagnetti this morning. We did a fake rivalry with the best of the worst, and that was kind of fun. Yeah, we uh, we did a battle set. Uh, so leading up to our show, we both bands were promoting wrestling style disc videos sure. for like a week and a half, and they weren't ready. They were not ready. <laughs> Best of the worst, they don't ever go on the road too much. They're staying at home. They're teaching. They're doing good things. They're raising Making families. Making cheese. Making cheese. Ben Cow. Cow shit. Being good people. And we're none of Pieces those. Pieces of shit. Definitely not good people. And we had a week and a half on the road to film every day and just destroy. And also, it's really easy. I got to tell you, the bar's low. They're from Jersey. Like, the bar's so low. Like, I, the amount of thought that went into these videos also was none. Like, you can just open your mouth and diss on Jersey in five seconds. Like it's just yeah. fucking unreal how easy it is to make fun of those people. Who's the worst? That's the worst. <laughs> so that one obviously let's pick let's pick a let's just pick a band that you aren't jokingly associating with. Like this obviously isn't gonna be, you know, broadcast to that band. They'll probably never fucking see it unless you specifically know them and tell them to watch. But pick a new band that you would say, let's 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 I want to create a fictitious rivalry with them. It could be like, I don't know, Queens of the Stone Age or some shit. Just like some band like that you like. Band? Whatever. Anybody anybody that you think like, oh, we could take this band down if we are actually in a rivalry. <laughs> I don't know. 
we're having internal discussion. We're, we are mood tone. <laughs> so I think just the whole Bad Time Records roster. Oh no! Uh, I've already said it. We already took Ooh. down. We already took down Best of the Worst in a battle set, and we're ready to take down the rest of the roster. Yeah, Joystick has to see us at the end. Joystick, of the they gotta take us, yeah. and we've been on the road. We're gonna take down every single one of those bands. Because new tone bands. Those new tone this bands. isn't Newtone. This is we're mood tone. tone. So you gotta have like a, a like a you know how they have like the number one contender and then like you guys are the champs and then you have them like move up the rankings and then you just knock oh, them yeah, back down rankings. as they come up. Yeah, just take them all on at once. <laughs> Battle royale. <laughs> All right. So this one is one that I've been asking uh, all the guests lately because this one is kind of more about music, which this is a music podcast. So why not? Uh, number five is what four musicians would you put on your personal Mount Rushmore for either being influential or being your favorite musicians, like individual musicians? Each individually or as total? You can do it either way. You can come up with 12 or you can come up with four combined. Yeah, we definitely aren't all the same on that. No, yeah. No. Individual <laughs> musicians. Okay, let me think Oh. I have two in my brain. So it's, it's, it's yeah. Uh, well, Billy, you don't have to play all the music. Like they don't have to have a, a single bass player. It's good. It gets yeah, yeah. four singer songwriters if you want it. For for me, uh, Billy Joel is actually one of my favorite artists in the world. He's like in my top three. I literally have his face tattooed on my leg. Um, hugely influential going through his catalog for me and drawing inspiration. Because again, I, I very much, as much as I like heavy, I love pop. I love I love a song that can get stuck in your brain. And I think some songwriters miss out on that opportunity. I want you to remember what we're saying. I don't need you to know every word, but I want you to have a hook. I want to have something. And um, to me, I learned a lot of that from really digging through like Billy Joel and Ellen John and a lot of other like 70s to, into 80s pop. Yeah. I mean, there's deep cuts that Billy Joel has that were number one records. You're like, what the hell? Like Allentown wasn't necessarily a number one record, but like that's one of the most poppy songs I've ever heard from yeah. Billy Joel. And it's he also, not a you know, only, the, only the Good Die Young was originally a reggae song. Um, was it uh, Skating on Thin Ice is actually a ska song he has. Uh, that's a deep cut. Like, that's nobody yeah. does that song. But yeah. the Only Good Die Young, if you hear the original demos, it actually was spoken. And you can still hear it. When, when you go back to listen to it, you can actually hear the reggae influence. But the band forced him not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so we got Billy Joel. We got one. I have two. So I would say... Rob Taxpayer, just, I mean, as a, um, I mean, songwriter for sure, but also just like the lyrics are just, there, there's so much there. Like yeah. every time I listen to like certain songs I can listen to over and over and still just like, holy cow. Um, and then I think for me, Angela Moore, I know it, that's complicated because Fishbone, a lot of the people in that band wrote different songs. There's so many voices, but I think for me, uh, I'll say Angelo because he's a saxophone player uh, and because he just has this manic energy, uh, stage energy and just jumping off of rafters and, you know, just all this crazy stuff. I think for me, uh, so Kirk, that leaves one for you. I was going to say Cab Calloway because okay. he, I, I try to, when I write to capture that, the frenetic energy that all these Cab Calloway tunes had. And obviously he didn't write every single one that he worked on, but a lot of the songs he had, they were just this pure ball of jazz energy that I think a lot of artists 
decided to tame down over the years to go a different direction. But when Tab was in jazz, when he was making his things, there's this very frantic, like pop sensible, but also just complex, fun energy. And as a front man, because he was, he basically, he was a conductor for the band. Like he just had this fun, grand time every time you saw him. Just I mean, it's what the Blues Brothers uh, movie, right? Where he's like yeah. doing the uh, big theater scene. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of the, like, all of a sudden the whole thing transforms into this, like, magically looking, like, impressive, like, stage. And I mean, that's one of the best scenes of the whole movie right there. And yeah. he and he did that in what? In his li- way later age, right? Oh, yeah. he, like, was, I think he was, he was like his... 80 or something, probably. Yeah. Yeah. 70, yeah. And I'm going to steal yeah. my other ones. I want my four. <laughs> uh, but I'll go quick on uh, Joe Jackson. I, I can't express enough how much I wish. You're talking about Michael Jackson's dad, Joe Jackson, right? Absolutely. Yep. 100%. <laughs> um, English born, UK born, Joe Jackson uh, <laughs> doesn't get enough credit for progressing ska with other styles. He really was a pop, punk, ska, reggae, all over the place artist with massive hits that people know, not realizing he actually did ska um, and other stuff. And I love the genre blending. So with that, um, but probably one of my favorite bands growing up other than Sergeant Skagnetti was Thumper and Thumper to me is such a, a clear connect on how I write that I love that they went from punk hardcore jazz to ska like they just didn't give a shit and I love that attitude and their live shows were some of the most intense I would see back in, the day in Connecticut like the Tune In and in Boston in the Middle East um, and then most of the members of Rich Kids on LSD that are dead are all my favorite humans and I wish they weren't yeah. Uh, but I really love Prague, and my other bands tend to lean more towards that. And the drumming, uh, it, 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 pretty much lag wagging is kind of like a lot of surviving members of Rich Kids on LSD. So yeah. they have to be one of my favorite bands. But having such dynamic, proggy songwriting on drums and guitar, bass, etc., while still being poppy, uh, to me is the coolest. Like it, it, it hits all those those elements for me where I remember the song, but I can't play it, and I respect it. <laughs> yeah. Just out of curiosity, who would you say is like your favorite drummer of all time? Ah, uh, that's hard for me. Uh, uh, Dave Ron's up there uh, for sure. Um, so is Brooks Wackerman. Uh, it was it was really weird when he joined Bad Religion, but um, he probably it's probably heresy, but he's like the best Bad Religion drummer they've ever had. Um, I'm not. I love Travis Barker, but he's not a favorite. I just respect the hell out of him. Um, Pat, uh, Pat Wilson from Weezer. Uh, taught okay. me a lot while I was younger. Uh, massive Weezer fan, so yeah, big big Weezer fan. The best part about Pat Wilson is he's a lot like how people describe Ringo Starr, right? He's not doing more; he's doing what he needs to do. You know, I read an interview once because I was so shocked that like I went to go see him in a larger arena, and he simplified a lot of the beats. And I'm like, what happened? Because Pinkerton, he did not simplify. Pinkerton's a very yeah. complicated drum album. And in an interview, he's like, oh well, sometimes in those big stadiums, the the sound doesn't travel right, and so it's easier to simplify the beat but as long as the song's going what's it matter and i was like yeah yeah <laughs> and adam willard who uh is in everything and that's unfair but... uh alkaline trio's new drummer right too like i think that's he, he just joined the band didn't he he did he did yeah. and against me and he's been in the offspring and yeah. rocking from the crypt and 13 <laughs> other bands and angels and airwaves was the worst fucking much band like josh freeze who's like originally well, the vandals drummer and now he's the foo fighters drummer but well, he's been in devo and everything else yeah nine snails perfect circle guns and roses yeah uh, the pecking order is travis barker is like considered the number one drummer and then if he can't do it, they get Josh Reese. And if Josh Reese can't do it, they get Brooks Wackerman, who literally fills in for the Vandals for Josh Reese and other stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Tenacious D. Like, they all swap around. 
Yeah. Okay, wait, I have a third. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Toots Hibbert from Toots uh, in the Maple House. I got Toots. Hibbert. I didn't hear the first part. Toots. Toots. Okay. Yeah, Toots Hibbert from Toots in the Maytals. Gotcha. Um, they're sort of, I mean, they're considered Scott, even though they also were reggae and sort of like debatable. Deba debatably, he invented reggae or came up with the word anyway, is kind of how the folk lore goes. But like, he is just, I think he's everything that like, that I love about First Wave Scott, which is it's, it's really simple musically, but he has just an amazing soul voice. That's what carries the songs in that like genre. And so that's why I love Toots and the Maytales. And um, I mean, and we saw him, we got the pleasure of seeing him before he passed. He passed from COVID in 2020, I think. But like a couple of years prior, we got the chance to see him. And I'm so glad he drove to San Antonio so to do it. I know. I did do it. It's so sad. But um, like just, how old was he? He was. He was in his eighties, but yeah. Eighties, and he just still could just sing pipes and and having so much fun and uh, I don't know, just like uh, not super wild, but you know, like just that energy was there. Um, I, I think just it's just the best vocal performance I've ever seen in my life, live for sure, and and one of my favorites recorded as well. There's nothing more inspiring than seeing uh, aging musicians yeah. uh, outperform it. you. Yeah. Well, uh, King Yellowman. Yeah, King, I was going to say King Yellowman. <laughs> another I, Jamaican artist. I caught him in Flamingo Cantina, actually another year for our anniversary. We went to that anniversary earlier, but it's a different <laughs> one. Uh, and he's just this, he was in his late 60s, this guy. He had cancer at some point. Like mouth, he's, like face cancer. He's albino. He's had all these things against him in his life that have really been a knockdown on him in society. And yet he goes out and he performs and he is like the one of the best at his craft and just has so much energy and watching this man in his late sixties have more energy than I could even dream of having on stage yeah. makes me like, man, I gotta, I gotta go to the gym. <laughs> nope. Just more cheese. Just more cheese. That's how I felt when I watched John Feldman of Goldfinger play a show recently. I'm like, dude, this guy can jump higher than I could ever at any point in my life. I'm like, what is he doing? If you get a chance, go see gang of four on one of their upcoming tours because they had younger bands open up for them, and it was kind of embarrassing. This band of you know sixty-five to seventy-year-old British men can just and women uh, outperform most bands. Yeah, and one of the best punk bands ever. Yeah, well, that's all the spotlight questions I have for you. So hopefully your brains weren't too busted or anything like that. And uh, yeah. uh, I know I think Chris named like fourteen actual musicians for his four musicians, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, that tracks. We're extra. <laughs> You don't get an interview with Hans Gruber without derailment. That's kind of. <laughs> and I'm leaving my fourth off because I, I have so many like like female like like women that I look up to, but I, I, I'm not as good at like getting into the bones of like specific musicians. It's usually like a band, so I'll have yeah. to work yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're like a saxophonist. So you named one saxophonist, which is impressive because there's not a lot of, you know, I mean, you're not going to name a lot of horn players that are mainstream that other people will know but you know for ska there's going to be definitely horns players that you're going to know that are you look up to right sure. but that's it for the spotlight we'll be back in just a few moments to put a fork in this episode with some exciting news about what the group team has to come up basically for the rest of the year so we'll see you right after this and stay tuned running your own music career is incredibly difficult trying to get people to like share comment listen follow it's all just overwhelming most musicians give up before they ever achieve success, and that's the worst. 
If you're looking for a better way to grow your music career, head to DIYRockCareer.com for some absolutely free training. It costs you nothing, and it could be the difference between hitting your goals and quitting your dream. Go to DIYRockCareer.com today by clicking the link below this episode. Then I lost my All right, welcome back to the Powered by Rock podcast. I'm here with Hans Gruber and the Diehards. Let's talk about what you guys have coming up for the rest of the year and what you guys have coming up in the near future because as far as I'm concerned, you're just getting started. I don't think you're wrapping this show up anytime soon, right? So I know you guys are currently on tour. Um, let's talk about that first, and then let's talk about what you guys have coming up in the in the near future. We got a handful of dates left on this tour, which is called They Live, Laugh, Love Tour. Uh and we have a pretty big festival we're playing called the Supernova. Supernova. I can't even say that. How many times have I said that? Super. I've done it wrong yeah. every time. I'm not going to ever say it. I'm going to let you fail. <laughs> fail, fail Supernova International Ska Festival. My word. That's like, it's like my kryptonite saying that word. <laughs> this tour was like 26 or 8 days wrapped between touring out to Muddy Roots uh, Music Festival in Cooksville, Tennessee to Supernova International Scoffets. I can say it right the first time. I'm special. Um, and heading home. Yeah. Uh, what do we got for the future? We have uh, the fest in October. The fest! We're playing the fest in the October. The fest! Up. He's excited. You can't bring, stop. Us, bring us Malort and we'll be your best friend. Holy cheese. shit. Don't bring even get me started back. on that garbage. <laughs> um, and and actually regarding the fest, um, pre-orders are uh, live now. They are, yeah. um, we are going to be a part of a comp that's um, put on by Sell the Heart Records. Um, and it's like a fest comp, so a bunch yeah, of different fest, bands from uh, or whatever it's called, right? Something like yeah. that. I think Decent Criminals on it. Some new band, Smoking Popes, is on it. Um, our homies, um, um, Hell and Squeaky. You're the You're fist. The fist. Yeah, thank you. You're the fist is on it. <laughs> um, yeah, a bunch of bands, and that's that's. I think that'll be our only vinyl release of that song. But, yeah, I was gonna say that'll be a new track. Yeah, unreleased. brand new track, unreleased. So nice. Get those pre-orders. Um, sell the Heart Band Camp. What are we yeah. doing next year? What are we doing next We're year? What are we doing next year? We're going to Europe. Get Sinatra. ready, Europe. I don't know. There's like, it's like Pat, this cool band, this sort of cool. <laughs> They're way cooler than that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's true. We're we're, we're, we're totally geeking out. Yeah. Um, the Su- tsunami bomb is um taking us under their wing, and we're gonna do some dates with them in in Europe. Nice. So Andy was like, the only way you're coming coming to Europe with me is if you're putting a new track on this on this fest comp, right? <laughs> on what comp? On the fest comp, yeah. yeah. I swear he said asbestos. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's asbestos, guy. yeah, that's a different thing. <laughs> I grew up with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you grew up with asbestos records guy? Yeah, yeah, we're from the same hometown, Matt Flood. Oh, nice. Uh, my cool. earliest punk bands and ska bands were uh, on his comps, and he, he generally will bring it up. Uh, I think I played one of the first asbestos shows ever. Wow. Look yeah. at this. this. This band really does run deep. Yeah, I've been. I've, I've my first Scott band was in like 1996 or seven in Connecticut called Obi Scott and Obi. Obi Scott and Obi, nice. <laughs> um, and then combining a, the two nerdiest things you could do in 1996, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then sort of uh, offshoot from us, but check out Scott Punk International Records, Sergeant Scagnetti. They just um, unfortunately from Connecticut, but yeah. Uh, it, did they, is the album released or are you pre-ordered? It's, it's, it's out. It's out, out today. So, okay, yeah. the album's out today. Well, nice. when we're recording this interview, when you hear it, it'll also be out. Check that out. Um, My goal is that 
we need everyone to please buy their records because I want them to physically hurt having to ship out a mass quantity of their things. I want them to stop playing music and retire. <laughs> they didn't invite me to be on the album. I might be bitter. Oh, that, well, that should have been our uh, our album or our band. Your rivalry? Rivalry, yeah. <laughs> I said it three times. No one, no one took it. Yeah, you're right. We didn't say the bait. It was you there. The bait was there. Okay. They're like, no, we don't like this. We're done. <laughs> I was on the album. I don't have anything against it. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, fantastic. It's a really good yeah. album. Yeah. Nice. And that's interesting because we'll get to a, a question that may be related to that in just a second. But obviously, we'll add some links and notes to the show, uh, to, to the show notes below this, to your guys' music, to your social media, all that stuff. But do you have any shout outs or anything else that you wanted to say before we go today? Bring us cheese. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're the gods of dairy. We're really trying to work this into our shows. We like. So are you guys like the, the the charcuterie board is only like half eaten? The meats just sit there and then you eat all the oh, time. No, no, like oh, no, 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 the whole okay. thing. Really <laughs> yeah. We'll live off a of charcuterie. Bring a charcuterie board. That's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a meal. All right. One last. So shout out to charcuterie boards, and then that's that's a, that's that's a good one. <laughs> uh, one last question before we sign off. Choose one, just one, but what new music? Either an artist, an album, a song. What new music would you recommend people check out? New music. Don't worry, I'll edit this gigantic pause out later. Yeah, yeah. well, I'll just I'll just say this because it's not new. But um, who have I been listening to? <laughs> I have a phone. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. Congratulations. Uh, I've I've been really obsessed with this Kansas City power pop band, The Whiffs. Uh, Whiffs, okay. Their new album, Scratch and Sniff. Uh, it's it's really rare for an album to grab me enough that I listened to it forty to fifty times before they got to town, or I got to see them live and impress me. But they, it lived up to it. Um, nice. I know, I know. I think Rob Pope from the Get Up Kids mixed or mastered it, uh, which is you know just Midwestern cred to help them. Yeah. Uh, and awesome, because I like the Get Up Kids way too much. You know uh, how yeah, I know you're yeah. over forty, Chris, is because you just mentioned Power Pop. What was that? I said, you know how I know you're over 40s? Because you just mentioned Power Pop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my I'm actual nickname is Old Man Thompson. So Yeah. Well, I'm over 42. So, like, that's, like, those are some of the best bands. Like, you know, I, I don't know if people consider Cheap Trick Power Pop, but I definitely do. Absolutely. And there's a lot of other bands. Yeah. Yep. And so, like. Superjack's one of my favorites. Yeah. Some of those are my favorite bands of all time. And it's, like, hard to tell people, like, there are pop rock bands that are good. It just you don't listen to them anymore because like, like the early two thousands kind of killed pop rock because whatever was on the radio at the time sucked so bad. Uh, you didn't want to listen. Early two thousands killed all music. It's yeah, exactly. That we're <laughs> yeah. Whole decade. Nothing happened important. Not one thing. Yeah. Uh, Son Montepera out of Mexico City. I have been killing it right now, and they, uh, I mean they been blowing up over the past few years but they're someone i always recommend to everybody it's a great introduction into cumbia if you're not familiar with the genre okay. um what was the name again i didn't catch it at first. Con rompe pera. okay she say it better than me okay all right yeah yeah there we go <laughs> oh no now i'm in the hot seat i don't know ah! there's two hot seats apparently all i, all I asked you was like what's oh, a good new piece of music that here. <laughs> I feel like there's what have I been listening? The oh, new Olivia Rodrigo album. Is that what I you're think this is new, 
I think it's new enough. It's maybe the past six months. Um, I think. Um, I'm going to recommend Plastic Presidents okay. uh, out of Nebraska. Okay, nice. I haven't even heard of them, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of Con Rompe Padre either, but yeah. Yeah, Plastic Presidents is great. They're they're kind of like that. I guess against all authority, ska punk, or is it? Yeah. Yeah, political punk ska. Yeah, but but the best way. Yeah, they're super good, and and we met them because they um, started following us on social media during the you know lockdown age, and then became friends kind of, and then we eventually set up a show, and they kind of saved our ass on a show, and then we saw them and were blown away, and then. And then they ended up on our label because we sold our label yeah, like we instantly. Like yeah, the day was, we saw them, we're like, yeah. this band. Look, yeah, sign these guys. <laughs> yeah. If you don't sign them, we're starting our own label, Chris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I we think him that a it's lot. about time. What was that? I said we threaten cool Chris with that a lot. Yeah. If he doesn't sign bands, we'll leave. We we'll, really... We're out. <laughs> we'll take we'll take our stuff and go. <laughs> we're going to sell out. Yeah. <laughs> Elsewhere. I think it's uh, obviously still pretty much time for a midday siesta for Hans Gruber and the diehards to get back to bed. I see Kurt yawning a couple times here. He's like, I've been trying to chug some of this monster coffee mix that I've put together. No, <laughs> you're going straight to hell with that. <laughs> but anyway, I want to thank you guys so much for being on the show today. Go check out the links below this episode for the show notes, for the music, the social media, the music videos, whatever you want to go check out. Uh, this band is awesome. You're going to love them. If you don't love them, watch the next song or the next video because you're going to love that one instead probably. But like I said, they're they're weird guys, weird gals, weird people doing the things that they want to do on their own terms. But guys, also remember that the Powered by Rock podcast is powered by our listeners as well. So to show some support, please be sure to subscribe and share the podcast on social media. Get the word out about Hans Gruber and the Diehards as well. You can see the full video interview on our YouTube channel and on Spotify now as well. If you want to check out some of our awesome content, our gear like this sweet i don't know you can't see it sweet shirt that i'm wearing <laughs> you can go check out poweredbyrock.com to see what's good there that's our show for today i'll see you soon for the next episode until then rock on So